Acts chapter 13 and verse 13 will begin our reading today. We continue our sermon series, The Spirit, the Church, and the World. In our sermon today, I've entitled Reactions. It's not hard to get a reaction today because we have issues in which people feel strongly about, whether it's your political affiliation, your moral stance, or how you feel about vaccines or masks, people get a reaction. Another thing folks may react to than done that wasn't done or what's happening in our world is what's going on in Afghanistan. No matter what should have been done that wasn't done or who's responsible or how we're going to get folks out safe or even more so those that won't be able to get out of Afghanistan because they live there, we need to pray for them. So would you join with me in prayer before we go any further? God, our Father, there's lots of stuff that could take our attention and take our minds, and certainly you've given us minds to think and hearts to feel, and we have opinions and ideas about all the stuff going on in our world. But this morning, we come to you for our brothers and sisters that are believers in Jesus and the church in Afghanistan. We're concerned for what will happen to them under the reign of the Taliban. We're concerned for that country as a whole. And God, we pray for everyone there that those that need to get out would get out safely, but somehow you would provide peace and you would do something that's miraculous, we ask. And God, as we come to study your word today, we thank you that you're present with us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that through this sermon, about a sermon, we would learn what you'd have us to do and who you'd have us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you. As you just heard me pray, our sermon today is a sermon about a sermon. I kind of had to go, wait a second, when's the last time I preached a sermon about a sermon? That could be really boring. Well, I think not, because as you look at it, we see that there is loaded with application for us today and timeless application because it's God's Word, and that's the way God, by His Holy Spirit, records these stories we have in Scripture. So it's our 22nd sermon in the Spirit Church in the World, and Paul and Barnabas are on mission, and they're going to preach a gospel message in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Why do we call it Pisidian Antioch? Well, there's more than one Antioch. There was one in Syria, and there was one in Pisidia, and so they called them that, just like we have Springfield, Missouri, and Springfield, Illinois, and Springfield, Nebraska, and I'm sure there's lots of other Springfields. Somebody needs to Google what's the most popular city name, and if there's one uh, you know, uh, name that's in all 50 states, I'm sure there are. But what we have here is a reaction that the Jews react negatively, and the community, the Gentiles, react positively, and we're going to see that in our Scripture today. Um, but what we want to first look at is our Scripture memory verse for the month. That Scripture memory verse is the summary verse from the end of Acts chapter 12, and let's say it together. Acts 12, 24. But the Word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 12, 24. Think about what's behind that statement. The Word of God continued to spread and flourish. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had in, uh, dwelt uh, believers in Jesus, and they were sharing the gospel message wherever they went with whoever they came in contact with, and God by His Spirit was making amazing things happening as the church was growing in one city and the other and then the other and across entire regions. 
So today, we're not going to read our entire passage of Scripture. I'm not going to ask you to stand with me, but we are going to take it a section at a time. And the first section is in verses 13 and following. That'll be on your screen, or you can read it in your Bible as I do. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message to encourage, um, of encouragement for the people, please speak. So you get the uh, geography of where they're going from Paphos and then to Perga and Pamphylia. And they're going to Pisidian Antioch and they're taking what is their normal um, MO, their modus operandi, that they start in a Jewish synagogue as Jewish believers in Jesus, and they preach the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, as Paul records in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And the synagogue rulers, seeing that Paul has some credentials and knowing some things about him, maybe visiting beforehand, invite him to speak. The other thing you notice is that Paul and his companions, remember it was just last week's sermon that we said, found out that it was Saul who is also known as Paul. What happens in Acts 13 from here on forward is instead of it referring to Barnabas and Saul, it's now Paul and Barnabas. And that Paul is always listed first, and Paul comes to the center stage in the book of Acts and leading on to the spread of the church throughout what is Asia Minor today. And then the other note there is John left them to return to Jerusalem. There's no note given here why John left the missionary band to return to Jerusalem. Later, Paul says of John, as recorded in Acts 15, I think it's verse 38, that he deserted them, a strong word, like a soldier deserting his post or deserting uh, the army. Uh, But what we have no explanation of why that would be. Did John, also called Mark, have to go home because he told his mom he was going to be home at a certain time? I mean, he's halfway across the continent, but hey, I got to get home. Was it that he had a fear of climbing up through the mountains that they were going to ascend in the direction they were going and he didn't like heights? Or was there some sickness or was there a theological disagreement? We don't know. So there can be speculation about all of those things, but we need to get into where we go next. And that's put a slide up on the screen for you here. And, oh, I'm pointing it right in the middle, and it's not working. There we go. Hey, wait, it disappeared. We're supposed to, I'll try this one. Let's see this. There we go. Aha. So, what you've got is two different colors. Paul and Barnabas and the missionary band are starting out in Antioch, Syrian Antioch. See, the Syria right there, and the Holy Land right here. And they go across to Cyprus. That was last week. Crossed all the way over the island of Cyprus. Now, what we don't know, but uh, extra biblical history tells us, is that the fellow, Sergius Paulus, that was in Paphos, he was from this area, Perga and Pisidian Antioch. And so it very well may have been that he said, wow, you've preached the gospel to me. Could you go preach the gospel to my family in that area? And so they decided to go to the seaport there, and then they have to ascend 3,500 feet up over the mountains to get to Pisidian Antioch. And you see their route going out was in blue, and then their outcome, route coming back is in red. And notice there it even says Sergius Paulus was uh, converted, and Paul and Barnabas teach the gospel there. And so just wanted to give you an idea geographically 
the distances they're covering and the elevations they're covering. But now we need to move on to your first point, because we've got four considerations from our sermon today that is a sermon about our sermon. And the four considerations, the first one is this, the introduction to the sermon. The introduction to the sermon is about pointing to Jesus, and we'll move the slide there now. The introduction to the sermon is about pointing to Jesus, but I need to read those passages to you. Sorry, Jonathan, I got us out of order. But you can go ahead and write that down, pointing to Jesus. Because what Paul does is he stands up to preach to the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch is he introduces them to the direction he's going to go. Now, now we'll go back and read that scripture for you, verse 16 and following. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan, and he gave their land to his people as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. So in about four verses, you have Paul summarizing 450 years of the history of Israel. But he's going somewhere. He's identifying with them because he's in a synagogue. Most of them are Jewish people. There are some Gentiles who are fearers of God that uh, are worshiping in a Jewish manner that are there. And then he goes on and he says that after this, God gave them judges. So he's continuing until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as promised. Now, verse 24. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So, Paul preaching in the synagogue, we see just the introduction to his sermon so far, is introducing, here's what God has been doing through history, hitting some notable names for them, some major acts that God did with the uh, nation of Israel, and now he brings them all the way to John the Baptist and to Jesus. He's getting them to where he needs to go as he introduces them and points them to Jesus. Which leads to our application question here. Our first application question is, how can I share Jesus in my life? Now, this is a very specific happenstance. Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue with the hopes of sharing Jesus. It was their hopes to be able to preach Jesus. Do we go to work with our hope being to preach Jesus? Do we go on a walk with our dog with our hope being that we'll meet a neighbor that we can preach Jesus? Do we call a family member on the phone just to say, hey, how are you doing? With our hope being that we can preach Jesus. They had their hope in preaching Jesus. But how can I share Jesus in my life? We don't all preach sermons. We don't all have to go all the way back in Hebrew history like they did. But there are some things we can observe from them. 
if we're hoping to share Jesus with others, number one, you need to be ready when you're invited. You need to know what it is you would say so that when you have the opportunity, you can say something. How do you do that? Well, you read your Bible on a regular basis. You listen to the Bible on a regular basis. You pray, you write, you think, you have discussions, so you're ready. The second thing you might do is start where your audience is, which means you've got to know where they're at. If it's somebody you've never met before, you very quickly got to ask and assess. What do they know about Jesus? What do they know about the Bible? How receptive are they to it? If it's somebody that you've had an ongoing conversation, you pick up where you were before and go on. The third thing we might notice is can connect with them along the way. What you see, even in the introduction of this sermon, that Paul was doing is saying to them, I know God did this, you know God did this. I know God did this, you know God did this. I know God did this, you know God did this. And then he gets to John the Baptist and Jesus, at which point they might be going, now wait a second. We haven't heard about this John the Baptist guy. We haven't heard about this Jesus guy. But he told us all these other things we know that are true. So maybe we need to listen to him. Which is the fourth thing we might consider when we share Jesus. And that's lead them logically where you want them to go. Jesus. We tend to think in a logical fashion. Sometimes we tell stories and they come roundabout. Sometimes we get people through indirection. But there's always a reason for what we do. So what we see here is an introduction to this sermon to us starting in verse 26. So as Paul moves to the body of his sermon, let's pay attention to where he goes. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet, in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that were read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. He's talking about what they know from their history, what they know from the scripture they studied, and then he's bringing them to Jesus and going to focus on two things in his sermon here, the death of Jesus, and guess what? The resurrection of Jesus. Let's go on, verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We need to go on in our passage of Scripture, verse 32. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And then he quotes three different scriptures. And they're all messianic scriptures. They're pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And they're all scriptures that his audience there in Pisidian Antioch at the synagogue probably knew of promising the Messiah. So again, he's connecting them logically and saying, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. So let's go on. He says, as is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Verse 34, the fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessing promised to David. Verse 35, so it is stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay the death of jesus the resurrection of jesus and comparing jesus who david referred to as his father to david 
who all Jews would know and venerate, the body of the sermon. Let's look at our points there as we consider what we learn from that as we think about reactions to the gospel. Your second major point on your outline there, the body, the body of the sermon, that is, is that the prophecies fulfilled and sinners justified by Jesus. The prophecies fulfilled and sinners justified by Jesus because that's his point. He's saying these are the things that are prophesied about Jesus and you're going to see how you are justified through Jesus in just a moment. Prophecies fulfilled and sinners justified. Let's answer a question there. What truths do I know about Jesus? When you think about Jesus in your life, what is it you know about him? That is true that you could share with others your testimony, his interaction in your life, what, not just what you know of him, but your relationship with him, who he is to you. What truths do you know about Jesus? First Peter 3.15 says that in our hearts, we should revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in us to anyone who asks We should be ready to talk about Jesus at any time, to tell people who He is in us. So, Paul introduced them to Jesus through Israelites' history. He's talked to them about prophecies pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we've got our next scripture starting in verse 38. Verse 38, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. He says, look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. That leads to our third point to consider the conclusion of his sermon. He's concluding his sermon to talk about what Jesus does. And when you put your faith in Jesus, how you are justified, how you are forgiven, how you are saved. So the results of trusting Jesus as Savior. The results of trusting Jesus as Savior, when you're having a conversation with somebody about the Bible, about Jesus, you're trying to share the gospel with them, you may not get to this point because they may shut you down before this point. They may want to leave the conversation before this point. But if you get to this point, what a blessing. He says you are forgiven through Jesus. Look at verse 39 again. He said, through everyone who believes is justified in everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses, that belief plus justification not works. That's salvation. And he presents them a stark choice here between salvation by grace through faith and keeping the law, which doesn't work to justify you fully. And we've got an application question we've got to ask to all of us in this room, and that is, have I placed my faith in Jesus? The question is, if you were to stand before God today, if you were to die today and go to heaven and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? Well, I've been a good person. I've attended church. I've done all these good things. Those are great. But that doesn't get you eternal salvation. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest no man should boast. It's Jesus that saves you. 
Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says, For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. And Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved, not should be saved, but will be saved. There's confidence there. So if you're here today, if you're listening online or watching online, and you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, you can do that today. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is believe. Let's get to our final verses of Scripture in this passage today. Verse 42 through the end of the chapter. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Things erupted over this week. Everybody wanted to hear the name of Jesus and hear what Jesus could do. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against Paul uh, and what he was saying. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject eternal life. Ouch, Paul. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who are appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. That's what we know as Galatia, the book of Galatians written to them. But... The Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet and protested against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The reactions. The Jewish leaders freak out. The people have joy and the Holy Spirit within them. That's your fourth point on your outline. That's the reactions. That's acceptance of or opposition to Jesus. You're going to find the same thing today. Jesus is still a polarizing character. Somebody that says this is black and this is white. And this is sin and this is righteousness. Somebody says that you can do this. You should not do this. Somebody says that it's heaven or hell is going to lead to a polarizing reaction, acceptance or opposition or flat-out rejection. Even today, we see that. Which leads to a question for us. Why can I respond with boldness? You notice I didn't ask how, but why. The existential question, the important question. The why may be informed a bit by a how, But why you can respond with boldness is in that very last verse. Those who believed were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. If you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. The same Holy Spirit that did miracles there could do miracles in your life. The same Holy Spirit that empowered them to speak can empower you today. And you can respond with boldness in sharing the gospel with those in your life. God loves all people. 
He sent Jesus to die for all people. And He calls us to share that gospel witness with all people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so very blessed to know Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. And we know that's true for most of us in this place. But that some here may have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Maybe today is the day that they would admit that they need Jesus to save them. And God, as we're here today with these elements before us in the Lord's Supper table, and we're commanded to do this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus, we know that we need to prepare our hearts that we might be worthy to receive. This is a commemoration of the blood of Christ shed for us and the body of Christ broken for us. And we ask that you'd help us prepare our hearts. Whatever we need to confess, we would freely confess. Where we need to repent, we would turn in our heart, in our mind, and even our direction. God, we thank you for your presence among us by your Holy Spirit. We ask now that you would have reign over this place and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.